0: Many of you might remember that over the last number of weeks we have been engaged in a sermon series entitled I am and we are exploring the I am statements that Jesus gives us to describe himself different images and metaphors that help us better understand who he is and this morning the term that we're going to look at the image that Jesus gives us is when Jesus says I am the gate. Now, I'm just going to confess to you here this morning, uh, this one, this image in particular of all the images that we either have looked at or we might look at in the future, in some ways is my least favorite. It is the image, when I look at it or when I think about it, I'm like, when Jesus says, I'm a gate or I'm a door, I'm sort of like, it just feels sort of like blah, blah. Uh, And I realize that's not the best way to start a sermon, especially when we're going to talk about the gate or the door. But, you know, when I think about the other images, there's other things I get more excited about. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at the image of light. And I can get excited about light. We need light in order to have life. There is something powerful and significant about light. In fact, if there's too much light, it will cause a sense of death. It can overwhelm us. So I love the fact that there's power found in light. Last week, we talked about the image of bread. And bread is rather basic in nature, but there's a necessity to bread. We have to eat. And so the fact that it's essential, the fact that we have to rely on bread, that's great. I can picture that kind of an image. Next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus when he says, I am the shepherd. There's a very personal, relational element to shepherds. I can get excited about personal and relational. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a majestic notion that's being shared there. I can get excited about majestic, but I'm the gate. On the door, it just feels kind of blah <laughs> to me, and yet that's what Jesus tells us as he as we come together this morning, and what we're going to look at this morning as well. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to John chapter ten. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, fourth gospel, and we're going to looking at verses one through 10 and especially if you look with me verses 6 and 7 it says this jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them therefore jesus said again i tell you the truth i am the gate for the sheep So on the one hand, the gate is not my favorite image because, again, it just feels rather blah to me. It feels so ordinary. I'm not quite sure, Jesus, what are you trying to share with us? But another reason I may not initially like this image is because in some ways I feel like I'm being compared to a Pharisee. Because in those verses that we just read, in verses 6 and 7, Jesus is using this figure of speech because it says the Pharisees did not understand when Jesus says, I am the gate. Now, Pharisees were religious leaders in the time of Jesus, and oftentimes they didn't get Jesus. They didn't understand him, and so Jesus is always having to re-explain things to them because they just weren't tracking with Jesus, and that's exactly what's happening here this morning. Jesus has already set on the gate, and yet they're not getting it they're not understanding it. And so part of me is like, well, is that how I am then? If I'm not getting what you're sharing by using the term gate, maybe I'm being pharisaical, maybe I'm being like them, which is another reason that looking at this image of the gate is not necessarily my favorite. And yet that's exactly what we find together here this morning. And it's no mistake on the part of Jesus of naming himself a gate in fact he doesn't just do it once he doesn't just do it twice but again look with me in these verses here this morning verse 1 of chapter 10 i tell you the truth the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber verse 2 the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep verse 3 the watchman opens the gate for them for him and the sheep listen to his voice Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And then in verse 9, we hear I am the gate. (laughs) Whoever enters through me will be saved. No less than five different times Jesus says clearly and explicitly, I am the gate. So if Jesus is being this clear about it, And at first, my first impression is, I don't really understand, it seems kind of blah, then clearly I am missing something about whatever it is that Jesus is trying to share by saying, I am the gate. One of the things that we know, though, about God is this, that God is God, obviously, and we are not, which means oftentimes God has to distill down and make complex ideas much more simple in order for you and I to understand them. In fact, there's a quote that I came across, and it says this, when God speaks to humanity, God always speaks in baby talk. God does not send Jesus into a seminar room at Oxford University. He sends him into the manger. I love this notion because as we keep saying Christmas is not over, the Christ child is still among us, God has to, in order to relate to us and help us understand, make things accessible in a way that you and I can begin to comprehend. And I think one of the things that God is doing with Jesus saying, I am the gate, is sharing with us in a way and using language that we can begin to understand. Because again, notice Jesus says, I am the gate. He does not say, I come proclaiming the hermeneutical reality (laughs) that I am the Christological manifestation and ontological response to the existential problem of evil. He doesn't say something like that. He says, I'm a door. What's he doing? He's breaking things down for us. He's making it simple. So if Jesus is breaking this down, making it more simple, then what is he sharing with us by saying that he's a door? And at least for me, as I've started to jump into this and wrestle with this, there are a number of things that start to come about and be understood, and we can't go through all of them here this morning, but I do want to lift up at least two that I think are pretty significant when it comes to this issue of Jesus describing himself as the gate or a door. And the first one is this. Gates and doors are both unique and everywhere. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Gates are, and doorways are unique and they are everywhere. So think for just a moment, even the very fact those that were able to get here this morning, think of all the different doorways you had to go through in order to get here. Even if you're watching online, we got out of bed, we left our bedroom in order to go to another room in the house. Maybe we went to the kitchen. There was a doorway to go from the bedroom into the kitchen and another doorway from the kitchen to the living room. Or to get here, you left the doorway of your house. You then got in the doorway of your car or automobile or truck. You got out of the doorway of your truck or automobile or car. You then entered the outward doors of this facility and then you entered inward doors in order to get into this specific space in which we find ourselves now. All these different doorways and Interestingly, none of them are exactly alike. They're either measured differently, or there's different cutouts, or different paint, or different uh, ways that they're put together. None of them are exactly the same. So we understand that gates are unique, and they're everywhere. In fact, doorways are one of those things we rarely think about, but we go through them all the time. In fact we don't even pay attention to them they're just part of the fabric of our life but all the time in and out of different doorways so part of what i think jesus is sharing with us here this morning is this understanding that he is this gate that he is unique among us there is no other god that is like him and at the same time, God is everywhere. Jesus is everywhere and helps us connect with God everywhere. You and I can't even really picture reality without talking about doorways or gates. We either do this subconsciously or consciously. Subconsciously, we use them all the time without thinking about it. Consciously, we have to create them in order to get from one location to the next. Even the very way that we picture heaven sometimes, whether you are religious or not religious, deals with, with, with gates. And with doorways think for just a moment what is it that people will often say that after you die you're standing right outside of heaven what is it that's there right outside of heaven that you have to wait to go through People, yeah, it's exactly right. The pearly gates of heaven. And I, I was thinking about that, and that came even more clear to me when I came across this little story about how we often think about the gates, the pearly gates of heaven, that says this. It says, a cab driver reached the pearly gates. St. Peter looked up from his b- big book, and he told him, the cab driver, to pick up a gold staff and a silk robe and proceed into heaven. Next in line was a preacher. St. Peter looked at him from his big book, furrowed his brow, and said, Okay, we will let you in, but I want you to take the cloth robe and the wooden staff. The preacher was shocked and replied, But I am a man of the cloth. You gave the cab driver a gold staff and a silk robe. Surely I rate higher than a cabbie. St. Peter responded matter-of-factly, This is heaven, and up here we are interested in results, and the truth is, when you preached people slept but when the cabbie drove his taxi people prayed so uh, there's probably more truth in that than i would care to admit but the reality is that gates are just part of our thinking how we perceive reality part of our network and fabric of life jesus is unique he is our gate there's no one like him he is unique in every way there is only one god and at the same time Christ is everywhere and helps us in every way to connect with the living God. We could spend a whole lot more time on that when Jesus says, I am the gate. That's one of those elements that's lifted up for me. But there's another element that I want to make sure that we catch here this morning and dive into a little bit more deeply and that I greatly appreciate, and that is this reality, that gates provide for in and out at the exact same time. Gates simultaneously provide for in and out so listen to what it says in chapter 10 verse 9 here this morning it says i am the gate jesus speaking whoever enters through me will be saved he will come in and go out and find pasture now i want us to focus on this idea of in and out for a little bit because when it comes to us in church world and church life our natural default tends to be only the inside. And the inside is good, but oftentimes we stop there. So we worry a lot if somebody has welcomed Jesus into their heart. We worry if somebody will get into heaven. We talk about coming to, getting into church. All of those are really good things. But it doesn't say here in the passage that they only come in. It says come in, and then it says go out into the pasture. And so what does that mean for us? And what does that begin to look like in our life? And one of the things I think we have to understand and remember is that life in Jesus, with Jesus as the gate especially, is that it's not just coming in. We were never designed to just come in. One of the things that we would not realize in this day and age is even what a sheep pen in that day and age looked like. So here's an image for you to look at. It is roughly about 10 feet high. It's circular in, uh, in nature. This is a pretty normal sheep pen. Obviously the sheep can't jump over something that is 10 feet high, but if you notice in the image that is before you, there's only one entrance in. There's only gate one gateway or doorway in. And it's the same one that you then come out. So oftentimes what would happen in this day and age is that at the end of the day, the shepherd would bring the sheep to a sheep pen like this. They would all go in this one entrance. They would go in there to lay down, to sleep, to rest, to be restored. And then the shepherd himself would literally lay down in that gateway space or doorway space. And functionally then, that shepherd became the doorway. That shepherd was the only one who was going to let anyone else in or draw them out at the appropriate time for the shepherd once they got all the sheep in there for the night again the sheep would lay down rest for the night but it was never the intent for the sheep to just live there in the pen they only came in to be restored to get some rest because then their real purpose was the next morning when they got up they would have to come back out the gate so that they could go out into the pasture out into the rest of the world again it's in and out one of the things about jesus and this idea of gateways is that at the same time jesus is both exclusive and inclusive at the very same time he is exclusive in that the only way into heaven into eternal life is through jesus himself there's only one way in At the same time, Jesus is absolutely inclusive though because then we are sent back out to the entire rest of the world to love and serve the entire world, discriminating against absolutely no one. So at the same time, in, out, inclusive, exclusive. That's part of what Jesus is sharing with us. If you look in verse seven here this morning, it also says this. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, it is hard to understand in the translation that's given to us here, but when Jesus says I in this instance, it's an emphatic I, and he's trying to stretch our imaginations to understand that, that he as a person is, is this doorway, this gate, and it starts to make a little more sense if you think of the shepherd literally laying down in the doorway of the pen. You can start to literally picture how someone would go in and out, not only through the same space, but with the permission of the same person. And that's literally what Jesus is telling us here this morning, that again, we are, we are called in Christ in and out. I raise this for us this morning because this is incredibly important. We increasingly as a church are trying to be an in and out church. We want to simultaneously welcome people in and at the same time be sent out. So I want to ask you to do me a favor here real quick. Where you are seated, here or online, I want you just to take a nice deep breath in. So go ahead and do that. Just take in. There you go. Full, fill your lungs, and then exhale, blow it out. And I want to ask you to just do that one more time, but think about it. Like literally feel the the air coming in. There you go. And now you're going to blow that out. And I want you to think literally as you're doing that, it feels good to breathe in and out. But if you only breathed in, that feels good for like a few moments. But if before very long you don't let it out, it doesn't feel so good. And at the same time, if you blow all the air out, it feels good for a moment. But before very long, if you don't take some more air in, you're going to be in trouble. If you take too much in or blow out, eventually you would pass out or something good is not going to happen. You need both at the same time. And part of what we're trying to do here at First Church is we talk about this idea of being an in-and-out church. The terms that we use for that are called gathered and sent. So gathered relates to being an in-church. And ascent relates to being an out church. So those are the terms that we use here. And I want to ask you to track with me for just a few moments on this because this is really important about both who we are and where we are seeking to go. In fact, I've had a number of people starting to ask me some questions about this. So this is perfect timing as we think about Jesus as the gate, what that means for us to be an in and out church or a gathered and sent church and to understand that. So what I want us to get with this is that we are called to be an in and out church with people as individuals, And also as a corporate body and let me break that down for us here a little bit the idea of being in and out gathered and sent as individuals that's not new news to us in fact that's how most churches are set up and the idea is this that we come as individuals and we gather in a place like this we become inspired we worship we listen to God we're we're formed we're taught inwardly and then we're sent out into the world to love and to serve others most churches do that it's a good thing it's a wonderful thing it's part of how we're designed but that's not new news the piece that would be newer for us is we want to be in and out not just as individuals but we want to be in and out or sent and gathered also as a community and so at first church increasingly we're seeking to exist as a gathered community and as a sent community Now again, the gathered community, that part we also would probably understand for the most part. The gathered community, it's what we're doing right here and right now. It's the idea that we gather together mostly on Sunday mornings to come and experience worship. We gather in this place and then we prepare to go back out into the rest of the world. Most churches, many churches I should say, operate this way. We gather together in a centralized worship place in the church Uh, it involves things like most of our primary ministries if you don't know what those are look on our website the description that is there of all most of our primary ministries not quite all of them but most of them relate to this gathered side of being church let me be very clear this is a good and wonderful thing to gather in as god's people is powerful because here we experience a depth and a beauty. There are resources here. Uh, There's a centralized nature. There's the ability to have an influence. There's a focus on discipleship. Uh, there's There's almost a majesty and a reverence when God's people can all gather together. God has used God's gathered community in significant and powerful ways to see lives transformed in many, many, many places and instances. And in fact, today, that's how most churches operate, gather in their space, In that facility, in that church building, and then prepare to be sent out into the rest of the world. Great stuff. But here's the thing our world is changing. You know that. That is no secret. And no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, there will be many, many people now in our culture who choose not to come in to the gathered community, to what we're doing right now. So we can have the absolute best preaching. We can have the absolute best band with Jake. We can be the most hospitable group right here, and for many people in our world, it's just not going to matter. In fact, current statistics say about 40% of people in our culture, no matter what you do, are not going to come in to your gathered setting. So what do we do? And many churches right now are panicked and they're trying to figure it out. And They're like, well, we'll just invite harder and we'll just do a more excellent worship gathering inside and we hope that will attract more people to come. And it won't because that's not what 40% of people are looking for or have any understanding of or any connection with. So what are we gonna do? Because if we really say that we love our neighbors and that we love our, our relatives, that we love our family, that we love these people that we know, And they're never, ever going to come here. And we really love them. What's our other option? Go meet them on their turf for us to go out, for us to be sent, and to learn to do church and be church and be community there with them on their turf, wherever that is and to do it with the understanding that we're not doing it just to bring them back into the gathered group here, but that we plan on staying there with you on your turf so that community in a sent place, in a sent way, can occur. We define it this way. A sent community is a form of church for the changing culture established for the benefit of those who do not want to come to church. The primary way we're seeking to do this in our setting, this right now is more of our gathered setting, awesome. We've also formed something that we call the Acts Network, which is much more of us moving in a sent way in our sent community to meet people on their turf and live in this way. Sometimes people will say to me, we want to be a biblical church. Well, let me say to you, if you want to be a biblical church, read through the book of Acts, and you know what you'll find in the book of Acts? this sent community taking shape and form. All these different places out and about where in places where church had never happened before, these communities rise up and the Holy Spirit is unleashed in new and creative and wonderful ways, incarnational ways, and people in those places learn to be God's people. They are sent out and the community develops in outward places. Think about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Yes, there were times he gathered in the temple synagogue area and he taught and he worked with people, but think of how often Jesus was out and about. He's at a well, he's at a wedding, he's in a boat, he's along the beach, he's taking a walk, he's in homes all the time. What is Jesus doing? He's out and he's developing community out in other places. And so if we really want to be a biblical church, if we really want to be followers of Christ, we don't just gather in, we also live community out. And some of the ways that we're starting to do this are things like with the pajama factory. It is, there's a Monday dinner on Monday evenings. It's over across town. Folks gather for a meal. There's music and there's intentionality, but increasingly we are praying together and we're moving with this express purpose eventually of getting to the place where worship will happen there and we're not expecting them at some point then to come here. It may happen, But our goal isn't just to increase our statistics on a Sunday morning. Our goal is to see as many lives transformed in Christ as possible. And we believe that as we live as both a gathered community and sent community, that we'll experience growth and vitality in life in all areas. But we seek to be there on their turf. You heard me mention the If Gatherings just a couple of minutes ago. Groups of women inviting other women into their home for conversation and food and connection and inviting their neighbors to come and join them in a very organic way so that relationships can develop. Sent community. We've got people meeting in their homes now. There's literally a worshiping community right now happening where when they gather on Tuesday nights, they come at times specifically to worship either in song or in prayer or around a message or just sharing deeply with each other around and about God. We're talking this spring about a similar thing happening with some rugby players or with a swing dance group and community. The idea is we love you and we'll do anything we can to meet you on your turf to be God's community with you wherever you are. The beauty in this to me is that each one of these bring great strength. So I want us to understand as First Church, we're not just a gathered community over here and we say, hey, blessings to you over there on the St. community side. And hey, all those of us on the St. community side, hey, blessings to you over on the gathered community side, but there's no interaction between the two. That is not our goal. We believe that there can be a deep and holy synergy between the two because each, the gathered community and the sent community, they each offer wonderful strengths and blessings. So the gathered community can offer depth, power, sense of majesty, resources, influence, focus on discipleship the scent community can offer a sense of freshness and newness and vitality and nimbleness and flexibility and a focus on evangelism and an unleashing of the spirit that doesn't happen in other places and when those two can start to influence one another something holy and wonderful and synergistic can happen and i believe god can move in our day in our age and our culture in ways we haven't seen before and first church i believe that you have the ability to be this kind of church it is not happening across the board you have the ability to be pioneers in this direction to not be threatened by one group or the other but to say together benefiting from one another united in the body of christ jesus as our gate in and out something holy and wonderful can happen and new life can emerge When you take in a deep breath and when you exhale it, you need both in order to experience the fullness of life. And the the key in that is a right and good tension. Oftentimes when we bring up the term tension, we think of it in a bad way. Nobody wants tension. But let me say very clearly, the right tension is a very good thing. Jake has been up here playing the guitar and other people. We can only enjoy the music with the right tension. Strings in music have to have the right tension, otherwise it's too sharp or too flat. But when you get the tension just right, there's a magic that begins to happen. Or I think about the image of a balloon. If the balloon only takes in, takes in, takes in, takes in, eventually it explodes, that's not good tension. If it's all out, 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 just laying there flat and listless, that's not good tension. It's when there's the right tension that fills it, that can be its beautiful self and do whatever it's designed to do. Jesus is our gate. In him alone we find life, strength, purpose, Identity, grace, love. Jesus is our gate. We go out then to share that love and grace and beauty and serve in the rest of the world so that lives might continue to be transformed. Jesus is our gate. And my question for you here this morning is, do you need to be more in or more out? Because there are some among us who are just, you're you're good moral people and you're busy doing all kinds of good things but you're doing it all in your own effort and so you're good and you're moral and you're helpful but there's not much depth to your life because it's all in your own strength and so you easily get out of balance and out of kilter and you feel exhausted all the time and you're rushing all over the place and there's just not much of a deep well in your life because it's all you if that's you Can I invite you this morning more in to Jesus? Worship him. Dwell in his holy word. Pray. Take in. Come in the gate. And some of us are here, and we only want to be in the sheep pen. We love to learn and listen about God and absorb all these new teachings, but the reality is we're becoming spiritually obese because we're afraid or unwilling or uncomfortable to be sent back out. We have wonderful ministries among us, ministries like the Stephen Ministers or uh, the Code Blue Shelter or Family Promise. Those are wonderful ministries. The reason we have trouble getting people to volunteer for those things at times isn't because they're bad ministries. It's because we're comfortable where we are and we don't want to be sent out or uncomfortable to serve in those kinds of places where are you do you need to come into jesus more or in jesus do you need to be sent back out some of us need the in. some of us need the out because jesus is the gate a couple weeks ago, I got to do something that I didn't think I would do uh, not too awful long ago. I got something called a TSA pre-check. You might know what that is if you're ever traveling very much, but uh, I've had to do a little bit more traveling in my life here over the last number of months. and so. A TSA pre-check is whenever you go to the Transportation Security Administration, you apply to them, and then you go in person, and they basically make sure that they they check your background and make sure you're okay so that when you go to an airport, instead of waiting in the normal long lines where everybody has to go through and take off their belt and take off their shoes and all their luggage be checked, if you get a TSA pre-check, you can go around all of that stuff to a special gate, and they'll expedite you and just let you go right through without waiting in line with everybody else. Now, I will confess to you here this morning that one of the first times when I was in the airport and I saw people doing this, I I was one of those people waiting in the line with everybody else, and I saw these other people who were going through this express checkout kind of thing because they had been TSA approved. My first thought when I looked at those people was, you snobby people. Like, I can't believe you think, who who are you to be better than the rest of us waiting here in line? I am never going to be one of those people. Until... A couple of months ago, I was waiting in line at the Atlanta airport, and I got there way early. I was over two hours early, just like you're supposed to do, and I got there, and I'm waiting in line, and I didn't mind waiting in line for a little bit, but the line was moving so slow, and I kept looking at my watch, and I kept looking how long the line was, and I started to worry. I'm like, I'm not sure that I'm going to make my flight, and I kept looking, and the line kept being very, very long, and time kept getting shorter and shorter, and then I was starting to sweat, and on top of that, I was thinking of all the other work I could have been doing if i didn't have to stand there waiting in line with everybody else and i'm watching and while this is happening i'm watching these other people just casually go up and they go through the express line because they're tsa approved and all of this stuff and i'm like that day as i'm sweating wondering if i'm going to make my plane watching my blood temperature rise i made a vow that day i am getting tsa approved and so guess what i did over christmas I went and got a TSA pre-check and now I haven't got to use it yet, but I'm excited for the next time I go to the airport because when I go to the airport, there's a very specific gate that I am going to walk through. And when I walk through that gate, it's going to say something has been paid on my behalf because I had to pay a small fee. It's also going to say when I walk through that gate, then I'm approved, then I'm okay. And then I'm gonna get to go in and I'll get to enjoy the amenities of the airport, whether it's a restaurant or something else, and I'll be there. And as nice and wonderful as those things are, then I will get on a plane and that plane will take me to a destination I never otherwise could have gotten to had I not walked through that specific gate. But here's the thing about gates and airports. It's great to walk in. There's lots to enjoy. But if you stay in the airport too long, Something's wrong, because none of us were meant to live in the airport. We were meant to get on a plane, which will take us out, send us out, to experience a portion of life we never otherwise could experience. Jesus is our gate. A price has been paid for you. That when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And because of Jesus, we are approved. In him, we are approved. So that we too can then be sent out into the rest of the world to experience that and to share that which we could not find anywhere else. Jesus is our gate that we might go in and out that as a church we might go in and out of Christ and experience the life that he calls us to live. Thanks be to God.